Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I am going to talk to Candice Owens. She is formerly of Turning Point USA. She runs a movement called Blexit. We are going to talk about what she's up to now, what she sees for herself in the future. And we are also going to talk about how she deals with all of the criticism that she gets, which is something that. We have talked about a lot on this podcast and you guys ask me about a lot. It can be very intimidating and very difficult to put your voice out there, especially if you're a political conservative, especially if you're a Christian and a conservative, knowing that there are going to be people who trash talk you, people who don't want to be your friend anymore. And so she is going to give us some wisdom on that. Candace, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yes. Okay. So you were at Turning Point USA. You had an awesome run. So much good, I feel like, for you came out of your role there and for Turning Point. A lot of good came out for Turning Point because of you. So tell me what your next stage is and what this next year of your life might look like. Yeah. I mean, when I got Turning Point, I was totally a newbie. I didn't know anybody. I had no prior experience in politics. Didn't even really know how to do a news. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So really, it's funny. It's a student organization. But in many ways, I felt like I was a student while I was there and just sort of learning the game of politics, which was a blessing. Um, And then it, you know, things took off really quickly. And I was just sort of ready for the next step to sort of assert like who Candace Owens is. And what I wanted to bring to the table at Turning Point was sort of this minority awakening and talking about these things in, in the context in terms of black America, you know, what it means to be a black American, which should be the same as what it means to be an American. Yeah. But just- Due to a corrupt education system, we have been feeling like we were somehow separate uh, from the American dream. And I wanted to take that to the next step. And the next step for me was basically uh, plugging my thoughts in a, lo- in a longer format. I mean, what you do here with Relatable is so great because people can follow you and really understand who is Ali Stuckey uh, long form and how is she feeling about the political climate every day as it changes. And beyond that, doing Blexit full time and, and, and encouraging black Americans to exit the left and, and embrace their futures. And you're also getting married. Minor. Minor thing. <laughs> Minor thing that's happening. Okay, tell us about Blexit. You kind of just said your heart and your purpose behind it, but tell us what your vision for that is and if you feel like it's effective. I do, but I want to hear it in your words as well. You know, my vision is, I think many people think that I want people to leave the Democrat Party and sprint towards the Republican Party, and that couldn't be further from the truth. I have plenty of issues with a lot of the Republicans that are in office, and I the reason why I support Trump is because I, I don't think he's either either. Um, and I want I want black Americans to become independent and to not accept emotional uh, debates anymore. Uh, offering someone reparations uh, isn't offering them a policy that's going to fix their homes. Uh, we should expect long term solutions. We should expect debates that are based on policy, not on our skin tone and not on these you know divisionary tactics that we see every four years, which is just. White supremacy is on the rise. Racism is back. Yeah, fear mongering. Um, basically, are asked to, out to get you. So it's just it's just being autonomous and saying, I want to know how you are going to make things better for me. Don't tell me about the color of my skin. And do you think that that's a message that you have found people are receptive to? I mean, you've been traveling the country talking about this. Do you feel like people are like are waking up? Yes, I, I really do, and it's so insane because when I first got into this. Uh, you know, the black community largely rejected everything that I said. You know, I looked into my comments, which is for me the way I measure <laughs> the impact that I'm having on social media. And it was just, 
the typical things you hear, coon, Uncle Tom, racial slurs that are being launched at all black conservatives, but I fought back. Um, and now we're seeing all of these baby movements that are appearing under me uh, that uh, they'll be like, you know, black conservatives. Uh, there are, are smaller movements that are coming out, these satellite movements, and people are feeling encouraged. Sometimes it takes the first person to stand up. I always call it the slow clap. When you're at a theater, the first person that does the clap, and then all of a sudden the next person can do it, and by the end, you have a standing ovation. And I think for many people, that's what Blexit was. And it just feels better. I think we conservatives have a better product. And, you know, the, the left is selling victimhood, right? Yeah. You can be a victim forever. You're never going to make it. You can be sad. You can be angry. You can be screaming in the streets, burning down your own home. We're offering people their future. We're talking about patriotism. We're talking about family. We're talking about values. It just feels better. And I think you did mention, you know, asking what is the government actually going to do for me? But I feel like something that you talk about a lot and really emulate well yourself is not so much asking, like, what can the government do for me? But what do I actually stand for? What values do I have? And what do I want to see reflected in leadership? So not so much, okay, am I going to, and I don't think this is what you were saying at all, but like, what am I going to get out of this? Which is what a lot of people, not just the black community, but women, immigrants, a lot of people have been trained by Democrats to think is, what am I going to get from you people? It's more that, okay, no, I have a purpose. I have potential. I have something that is beyond victimhood. Like I have something to contribute. And what kind of governments do I want to live under that is going to allow me to reach that potential? And I think you would probably agree. It's a government that allows self-governance and a government that allows freedom. And I would think that for young people, that kind of message is attractive. Right. And, and actually what you're hitting at is something I talk about a lot when I say, what is it that the left has taken from black Americans or all, all minority groups, really? And the answer is self-confidence. They've stripped us of self-confidence. We don't wake up in the morning believing that we can do anything. Uh, you know, I was taught through the public school system to see myself as less than, which is quite ironic, right? Because they're over here saying that the other guy is racist, which is viewing us as less than when in fact uh, they are manufacturing a lack of self-confidence via the school system uh, and this constant anxiety. And my grandfather always says this. Um, if you believe that you can't, you won't. Yeah. Right. You have to you have to wake up every morning saying, I can do this. I, I'm going to embrace my future. Even if you if you get sent back a couple of steps, you have to believe that that you can gain those steps in the future. And unfortunately, what I believe the minority community is suffering from is just a tremendous lack of self-confidence. And that's what I'm trying to give them back, you know, just to give everybody back what I feel like I found through conservative principles. Yeah, I feel like this is something for a lot of the people that are targeted, for lack of a better term, by people on the left, the intersectionality scale that says, okay, if you are a woman, if you're an immigrant, if you're a black person, if you are a Muslim, whatever it is, you have to see the world through the lens of the oppressed versus oppressor. And it's something that I call the gospel of grievance that the left has been preaching for a long time, that you have to vote out of grievance. You have to think out of grievance. I saw this tweet the other day. It was some tweet saying, uh, you know, the people that report the most satisfaction in marriage are actually women who are religious and right. who are conservative and who believe in more traditional gender roles. And you had all these feminists just so angry about this reality so angry, so bitter. I could not believe the things that I was hearing, but that's because a lot of people have been trained, trained to see the world out of that lens of grievance and resentment and oppression. And I just would think that people want to be liberated from that. That's a heavy weight to carry. Right. I mean, when I had you uh, on my podcast, actually, I don't know if you saw this in one of the comments, it was actually 
so sad. It's the saddest comment that I've ever read and it broke my heart. But a woman wrote underneath, um, you know, thank you, Candace Nally, for having this discussion. I recommend all girls watch this. She said, I fell for the scam of feminism. Yeah. Uh, now I'm in my, you know, mid fifties. I'm not married. I have no children. I take antidepressants. Wow. So sad. So sad, but that is the reality that we live in is that um, they try to get people in their youth uh, to believe that they're going to find happiness through rage. And that's not the truth by hating, by hating men, by being resentful towards marriage, by calling marriage bondage. Um, and, and the truth is, is that if you fall for that scam, it does ultimately lead to unhappiness. And uh, I, I try to catch those people while they're young and say, listen, you can fall for this scam. Whether If you're black, it's the scam that, you know, your biggest problem is, is the white man. But if you follow that path, you will end up unhappy. And it's time for us to take that back and say, no, uh, we want opportunities. We have opportunities and we are blessed to live in this country. The happiest of black Americans uh, or the most successful black Americans that live in this country are from Nigeria. Think about that. It's yeah, because they haven't, been taught, yeah, they haven't been taught about racism. They haven't been taught that they're less than. And when they come into this country, they're doing what everybody else does. They just work hard. They work hard. Exactly. It's it's really simple. And it's crazy how just convoluted the message has gotten from um, hard work and human potential to the conversation, like you said, about reparations. And that doesn't mean, and I've heard you say this before, like that doesn't mean that oppression hasn't happened or discrimination hasn't happened or that there aren't racist, sexist out there. I mean, there are people who don't like pregnant women out there. There are people who don't like blondes. There are people who don't like girls. There's all these kinds of isms out there. And so we can either sit here and we can say, wow, it's really unfair that there are some people out there that don't like women and who think that I'm dumb because I'm a woman or whatever it is. Or you can just do what you're called to do and fulfill a purpose that God has called you to do for his glory and not worry about what everyone else has said. It just seems like such a limiting mentality. But like you said, I do think it's from a place of uh, a lack of self-confidence. I also think it's a place of fear too, that if you claim that, well, you can't do anything anyway because you are being oppressed or held back, then if you don't succeed, it's not your fault. You don't have to take responsibility for it. That's exactly right. It's easier to be a victim. It's much easier to be a victim. It's much harder to look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, why didn't I do better here? Uh, why did this person beat me at this? What can I do to change about myself? Um, that takes uh, courage and humility uh, yeah. to see where you went wrong and, and to and to assess yourself. And that's and that is hard. And that's why I tell people, uh, I say, look, look around the room. You're not a special snowflake. Life is hard for everybody. Um, we, right when you think that you've had the worst day of your life, you can guarantee another one is right around the corner. But life is really about how many more times you get back up. We start at different places in life, but we're all afforded the same opportunities. We are blessed to live in this country. And that really is the messaging of Blexit. You know, yeah. Blexit left and just walk right into your future and embrace it. Because uh, once you do, you, you'll see how much how much more you are rewarded. And it just feels better. Like I said, it just feels better. And having to wake people up to the reality that it's not supposed to be. We were never guaranteed by God or our constitution uh, equality of outcomes. That everyone's life is going to be different, not only depending on our choices. I would say choices make up the majority of our destination, but there are circumstances beyond our control. And that's okay. That's life. There is this mentality on the left that everyone has to be the same and end up in the same place for things to be fair. That's why they're okay with socialism, even if everyone ends up 
mediocre, it's better than some people ending up well off and some people not ending up well off and realizing that choices matter. We talked about this in the interview that like we've moved into this culture of anti-shame and because we've moved and we hate shame so much, we're not able to say that choices actually matter, that maybe a decision you made caused this to happen somewhere along the line. How do you think that we um, get millennials who can be sometimes averse to that, averse to regret and shame and the mentality of having choices and making decisions? How do you think that we wake them up to the reality that that's just a factor of life and you don't need someone to come in and save you every time you make a mistake? Well, I think I think part of it is what you and I are doing. It, it, it's needed younger voices. It's needed people like us to speak to them through channels that they understand, right? I mean, uh, I've been blessed to be on major networks like Fox News. Uh, but at the end of the day, we know that the people that are watching Fox News are older people, an older generation, uh, hitting social media and, and really talking about these concepts and these scams like feminism, like socialism. Of course, on a paper, these they sound great, a utopian concept uh, where, where everybody gets to end up the same, like socialism. But we know it's not true. If I know I can lay in bed all day, right, and I get to have the same outcome as Allie, who's pregnant and has to work, well, okay, well, Allie should do it. And then you're going to say, well, why am I doing it, right? And yeah. we're all going to going to de-incentivize all of us to work and just talking them through the, the, the practicality, the application of socialism, I think is a, is a big hurdle because they're not doing that in school, right? Yeah. They're just on the utopian concept. They have no real life experience. So it takes younger people um, like us. I believe so much in the youth movement. It's why I started at Turning Point USA. Um, it's why I try to connect the dots with younger voices and, and give them a platform because I know that I was blessed to be given a platform by people that said, hey, you know, you're saying something important, uh, locking hands. And, and then I think it, I think, by the way, we're having tons of progress as it is. Um, uh, I think Generation Z is staunchly conservative. Uh, somehow our generation, I don't know if you're a millennial, I am, I'm 30, um, really yeah, ruined it. And <laughs> somehow Generation Z is perhaps going to save the day because they're not politically correct. Well, I hope so. There's definitely a segment of them that I think, I think the non-political correct thing uh, could help. I do fear because like you said, the public schooling system, that there's still going to be a misunderstanding of values, of capitalism, of American exceptionalism, which just makes our job more important. That doesn't mean that all hope is lost. It just means that, okay, we're training not just that generation, but people who are younger than us, because now you and I, I'm 27, you're 30, like we're looking to the college students to turn around and then look to the high school students. And so we're already trying to affect like two generations later, which does mean that we're old. Um, what is the biggest thing, or what is one thing, I won't make you narrow it down, over the past year of your life, your life has changed a lot in the past year, year and a half, two years. Um, what is the biggest thing that you've learned? It doesn't have to be political, could just be professional that you've learned about life, yourself, anything that you can look back and say, wow, I am so glad I learned this lesson. Oh, wow. That is a, a deep question. Um, over the last two years, um, or just anything that you feel like you know you've what? I would say one thing that I always try to, to help people with, and especially people that are younger and getting into politics at a younger age is just the volatility of the space that we're in. Um, we could be deplatformed tomorrow. <laughs> you just never know. Um, and that's something that's really scary. And one of the things that's taught me, I don't seem like I do it all the time, but now I think I'm a little more cautious and, and I try to save my bullets for things that I think really matter. Um, I used to be uh, in, a, in a heartbeat. If, even if it was somebody that was a conservative that I disagreed with on something, I'd probably issue a tweet or say something. And now when somebody's under a firestorm, I won't do it as much. And people are like, why aren't you adding your voice to this or that? 
doesn't really matter to me just because something is trending. I try to think about what it is, what is my ultimate goal? My mm -hmm. ultimate goal is to save black America. Uh, to, in an effort to save black America, I don't really need to throw in my opinion uh, if Ben Shapiro or Ali Stuckey is trending about something to say, oh, this or that. Um, so I think that I, I, maybe that comes with a little bit of maturity, but I've just been sort of like, I don't need to add my opinion to this. I'm going to wait. And I think that having, ha saying to yourself what your ultimate goal is once a day um, will help you make better decisions throughout the day because politics is volatile. Today, you, tomorrow, me, make friends where you can. Um, yeah. and, and that's really kind of the best. That's kind of how I try to look at everything going forward. I think that's a great piece of advice to remind yourself what your ultimate goal is every day or remind yourself of your why. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? It's bigger than money. It's bigger than followers. It's bigger than fame. Not just you, but anyone. It's bigger than these small things, or it should be. If it is, if that's, you know, if that's someone's only purpose, they're going to crash and burn so fast because... You know, like you said, things are here today, gone tomorrow. People love you today, hate you tomorrow. And so your why has to be bigger. It has to be a purpose that's almost independent of those things. And I do think that reminding yourself of the bigger picture every day, it just kind of helps those like small anxieties go away and right. the incessant need to be involved in every conflict, which we all feel the need to at times. I think, like you said, it just reminds us of our priorities um, what advice would you give someone, not necessarily in this realm, but maybe dealing with conflict and dealing with hate? Cause you deal with that a lot. On a large scale. Yes. Um, so what I always say to people is if you, if you think you're the only one, you're not, um, network with people that have the same opinions as you. That's a question that I get a lot on campuses, which is they always feel like they're the only one, that they're the only conservatives. And unfortunately, especially when you're young, sometimes it's, it, it feels like it pays it pays off better to just remain silent rather than to deal with the peer pressure um, that comes with being a conservative. And what I tell them is to go to events, uh, figure out who thinks like you and network with them. And you don't need to be ready. Not every person is going to be like Ali Stuckey and Candace Owens and want to be out there and, and taking all the bullets. Um, but there's there's other ways to, to kind of quiet that anxiety of feeling that you're alone. And what one thing that we have that has been so great is we have this massive group chat on Instagram filled with black conservatives, you know, and it, it reminds us every single day that we're not alone. Going to a Blexit rally, showing up at a TPUSA event uh, as a conservative reminds you, oh, look around the room. I'm not the only person person who, who thinks this way or feels this way. And I think that that really is the lesson. You know, I, I'm a big supporter of the president of Donald Trump is that every single day people were being told that it wasn't existent, that their, that their feelings weren't right. They were racist and that they were sexist. And, but they showed up to these rallies and they looked around and they said, you know, what? I'm not the only one that feels like America is missing out. Um, and in the end they won. Uh, so, uh, never be bitter, never be upset and know that you're not alone network so that you don't feel that depression of feeling like you are the only person that holds those viewpoints. Yeah. And being around people for me, like being around the people that really know me, like for you, I know one of those people is your fiance. And then of course you've got family that you know and love and friends that are not in the political movement at all. And then for me, it's like being with my husband, of course, being in the word of God, knowing purpose and knowing eternal truth that outlasts all the stuff of this day, but being with my family who really couldn't care less, you know, like what I said on Twitter or what someone else said about me on Twitter, that is just very regenerative. It's very reassuring to remember that the political world is not all there is. It's a big part of, of all that there is, and it's an important part, but it's not all there is. And at the end of the day, if all of that went away, 
if all our followers went away, if we got deplatformed completely, we would be okay. And I just have to remind myself of that. I have to take myself. What do you say? Sorry to cut you off. That's so funny that you said that because one of the things that I say is people say, how do you deal with all the mean tweets? And I say to people, my grandfather picked cotton. Like, you know what I mean? Like my grandfather picked cotton. My grandfather had to deal with the KKK shooting bullets in his home. What an amazing privilege that I get right. to say. The worst thing that I have to deal with in my life are mean tweets. How yeah. optional is that? Like, turn off your phone. You know? Yeah. Well, it's perspective. But I think it's that perspective that a lot of people don't have or they're not able to have because they get so sucked into this kind of stuff and the whole why me mentality and you don't have that. But it's a choice that you make. It's a choice that you make to gain that perspective and to be tough um, in the midst of all that. And if you're not, like if that's not for you, I always say that's totally fine, but I would not recommend this job. Like I would not recommend it. I just I know people are ruthless on the internet, you know? And And, yeah, and and like- you do get used to it. I don't know about you, but I've gotten used. I'm like, whatever. I could yeah, you less. just don't read it. You just don't read it. Now, there are things that are like more hateful, but you also have to know this is something I learned early on. There are people, unfortunately, in the media who also want to see you fail and they will do whatever it takes to see you fail. And that is a really unfortunate reality. But even in that, which I would say are bigger conflicts, you also have to learn to remove yourself and realize this is going to sound really arrogant, but it just happens to be true. The people who spread rumors about people who look to stab someone in the back or who look to take someone down are typically the people, the nameless people that you might write about in your book one day. Like they're not going to be significant because if they spend their life looking at what you're doing, um, then they're probably not going to go very far. But that can, I don't know, in my experience, that's also been like a hard thing to deal with a little bit. That's not arrogant. I don't think what you said is arrogant at all. That is a truth. And that was one of the things, you know, I, early on, so many people when I started on YouTube were just so mean to me. I mean, it was just like, there was just so much drama of people that were coming after me saying this, you know, the second I had an opinion that didn't run popular, people that would come after me and hope that I would get deplatformed. And I kept my head down. And I said to myself, this is their existence, finding drama, jumping on the next dog pile every single day. There's another person that everybody can dog pile on and try to get deplatformed. That means they're not working every day to, to, to build up what they want to see flourish. Right. They're spending time trying to to take down what they want to destroy. I'm not going to see these people in a year. And the truth is, I didn't. (laughs) None of those people today have the same platform. So I think the lesson in all of that is to stay focused on the things that you want to see grow, uh, not the things that you want to see die. Oh, that's good. Not people, you know, not other movements die. So. Oh, I really like that. That's a good line. Okay, one last question. That's a fun question. What are you most excited about for marriage? Um. The the anxiety of my twenties being over. I everyone that I know was freaking out when they turned thirty. It was really weird. Like they were having I don't know like a court I guess not a quarter life crisis, but they were sort of freaking out. And when I turned thirty, I was so happy because it all sort of made sense now. Like I, I knew the person that I was marrying. I knew what my future was. I knew the person that I was going to have kids with. And I genuinely feel like my thirties are going to be my best decade because. Now I have a partner for life, right? How great is that? You, you can have as many friends as you want. You don't, you, there's no promise that your friendships are forever, um, but just kind of growing my personal garden, right? The things that actually matter to me. And I, the one thing that I've always wanted was what my grandparents had. And they just had, you know, this beautiful partnership. And uh, I, I, I get to now do that in my life. And I know that I'm now creating the things that are going to matter the most to me, the things that on my dying bed, you know, nobody says, like, I wish I did one more uh, political event, right? Yeah, they think their their husband. They think about their children, and I just think it's it, this is going to be the greatest blessing of my life. 
Oh, totally. Marriage is awesome. Well, I'm really excited for you. Um, thanks for taking the time. This is great advice. You gave a lot of awesome one-liners that I think people are going to tuck away in their head and just apply as wisdom to their own lives and their own careers. So thank you for that. Thanks for what you're doing and always just being enthusiastic to move on to the next thing and take the next challenge. What you're doing is a challenge and you um, are pioneering it, which is something to be proud of. Thank you so much. Hopefully we'll be looking in the future and Blexit will not, there won't be need for the movement because it'll already happen yeah. and we'll all be able to celebrate being American. So God bless. Uh, thank you so much, Allie. You're one of the kindest people ever. Wishing oh. you all the best luck. And of course, we'll probably work together. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Candice. Bye-bye. Bye. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Really, no matter what side of the aisle that you're on, I... I think that there's a lot to be learned from someone who just decided, okay, uh, I'm, I want this thing to happen and I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen. She's obviously very passionate about this segment of the political population and she is doing what she can to uh, make sure that they are engaged. And uh, I really, really hope and wish her the best and hope that that is effective because it is in so many ways a message that needs to be heard. So I've spoken to Candace before. I actually spoke with her on her uh, PragerU podcast. We had an awesome conversation about feminism and about faith. Here's a little clip from that. If you take feminism to the umpteenth degree, which I like to do and I say, okay, let's just lock ourselves into what the left has said, which is that you don't have to be personally responsible. Personally responsible. You don't have to feel any shame. It's never your fault. You don't need a man, right? You can do everything by yourself. You want to have kids. You don't need a man. You don't need a family. Let's destroy the new nuclear family, right? Yeah. That's the one thing they really want to see burn is the nuclear family. Yeah. Where, let's go find those people that actually followed that. Yeah. Do you think Chelsea Handler is happy? Does she sound happy? She just wrote a book and and, and she talks about how she's taking had to take pills and, and go on psychiatric medicine yeah. to cope with the election of Donald Trump. And then we've got, you know, Sarah Silverman who speaks about how she suffers through depression. And then we have Kathy Griffin. Do these people look to you like the models? Lena Dunham, do these look like the models of where you want to be in your life? And that's yeah. the question I ask myself. And yet they shame people like you, right? You're Christian. You, you're, you're, you know, you're hot on, hot on the like left loves to hate God publicly, right? They're always saying terrible things about God culturally. They mock God. They mock religion. They yeah. mock the idea of a woman marrying a man and, and creating the nuclear family. Yeah. Who would you rather be? That, I mean, that's really the objective question that I ask myself. Right. If you want to find fulfillment, are you going to look to these people who are famously unfulfilled? Are you famously gonna... unfulfilled. I love really? that. Yeah. Or are you going to look to the people and model your life after the people who seem to, I, I mean, no one fully has it together, but seem to have found some measure of satisfaction in their hard work and in the family that they've created and the things that are really outside of themselves. Because what those people tell us is that you can find all of your happiness inside of yourself. Just pursue the things that you want to do. Well, the happiest times that I've been in my life, the most fulfilled, the sat the most satisfied, the most joyful times I've had in my life have been when I'm pouring myself out for other people. Like getting married, I mean, that's such a, um, what we would say in the Christian community, a sanctifying process of ridding yourself of yourself. You are necessarily thinking about someone else, which you are going to experience in a very real way really soon. Yeah. Um, you are ridding yourself of yourself. It's not only about your schedule. It's not just what you want to eat. 
sleep. It's not just what you want to do, what time you want to go to bed. You have someone else to think about. Right. And then motherhood, which is what I'm about to experience, brings that to a whole new level. Right, where it's no longer it's it's no no just the about you. Show. Yeah. But how much joy is found in pouring yourself out for other people? And that's the one of the beautiful things about Christianity is that Jesus doesn't call us to more self-love and self-obsession and self-pursuit and self-exaltation. He actually calls us to self-denial, to self-crucifixion, to take up our cross and to follow him, knowing that we might not achieve all of the happiness that the world tells us that we should achieve in this life, but ultimate fulfillment comes in eternity. That's what we find from life in Christ. And the Christian life is not marked by one of self-obsession, but a self-denial, which is something that the rest of the world really doesn't understand. It doesn't glorify at all. And I, and I think that this is almost why what you're hitting at is, is why the left glorifies Hollywood so much, mm-hmm. because that is the ultimate version of self-love. Yeah. Hollywood, they love themselves they love more themselves. than they could ever love uh, yeah. anything else. And they really believe yes. that everything they say should just carry such weight. And hey, I, I'm telling you who to vote for. Right. I'm Beyonce. Right. Yeah. I'm Beyonce. Go vote for Hillary Clinton. And yeah. they can't process that there's anything outside of themselves. All they have to do is assign their name to something. Yeah. And the left wants Hollywood to be worshipped because they also want to grow government. And if you want to grow government, you have to reduce the family size. Right. Yeah. They want the government. I always say this when I when I go speak publicly in my opinion they want the government to replace god yeah right totally they want the government to replace mom and dad they want you to turn to the government for every single solution to all of your problems yeah. we have a solution for that it's no longer prayer like i grew up in, and my grandfather's deeply religious and we had to pray at every single meal and he to me was such an example he married my grandmother when he was 17 years old um and they stayed together until our dying day so he was just conservative all, yeah. and he was happy yeah you know he lives he lived the happiest life and he's still alive but my grandmother passed so they're no longer together. Um, And I see the left actively trying to destroy that because they want to replace, they love atheism because that's the only way they can accomplish their goals. And their goals are communism, socialism. And you can't do that if people believe in anything other than themselves. Well, it's the opposite of what the founders said that, okay, this society that we're building, this republic, this democratic republic that we're building uh, cannot function on an amoral, irreligious society. We need uh, the wills and the whims of men and women to be bridled by religion and morality for a free society to work. They knew that. And so the opposite of that must be true as well. Uh, You can't have socialism and communism. The state cannot take over unless you have people that don't have any kind of central system or central principles or anything that they are um, that they are beholden to beyond the government, you can't have socialism without people who are godless and without people who don't have any kind of sense of central morality. That's exactly why you see someone like AOC saying, you know, we're going to provide economic security for people who are unwilling to work, not just unable, but <laughs> unwilling. So that is showing that she wants that person to be fully dedicated or uh, fully committed to, fully dependent on the government. They don't have a responsibility to God to work hard. They don't have a responsibility to family to work hard. They don't have any sense of shame. They don't have any sense of honor. They don't have any sense of obligation whatsoever. All they have is the government. I think it was the DNC a couple years ago that was their motto was the government is the only thing that everyone belongs to. And I'm like, and that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Problem. So you're you're absolutely right. Once you take away God and morality and really the Bible away from people's uh, 
people's uh, principles or people's set of morals that they have, then you really don't have anything. What else are they going to look for? Right. How long have you been doing your podcast? Um, a little over a year. Okay. What's what's been the hardest part for you? Because I think I just think it's very interesting to have like a Christian woman speaking out so yeah. so publicly and so unabashedly. What has been the hardest part of just being a public figure for you? Uh, I I think it has been figuring out that I truly can talk about all the things that I'm passionate about and all the things that I really do believe without worrying about polarizing one set of my audience. So you, you've you probably found this too. If you wanted to, if your only concern was to gain followers, then you know what you could say right. that people want to click on. Like you know what you could say that could go viral. You know what you could say that's going to get you a lot of clicks. But talking about the things that I'm really passionate about – I might have pushed some people away who say, you know what, I, I like your politics, but I hate your religion. Or right. I like your religion, but I hate your politics. But to me, they're so interconnected. It is interconnected. That politics and culture are downstream from faith and values. And I'm like, how do I not talk about both of these things? Because these are the real things that are going on in my head every day when I'm watching Donald Trump or when I'm watching the news or when I'm seeing these culture wars. I'm always going back to the Bible and saying, okay, well, what does God's word say about this? So why would I isolate one part of what I believe or I'm passionate about or I'm truly thinking about? throughout the day because I'm afraid that it might offend some people. And I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. I mean, you you know, you're it's the <laughs> same way. Um and people who who whoever would ever say to me or to someone like you, the only reason you're doing this is to get followers. If the if I just wanted to get followers, trust me, the last things I, I would talk wrong. about, yeah. The last thing I would talk about is Christianity right. and the Bible and conservatism. Right. Because those are really unpopular. Ta- that's what I am like if I wanted to to just be getting followers, I would be I'd be AOC. Yeah. You know how easy that would be for me to be, be AOC so I have to know nothing. Yeah, and be you've cute got the intersectionality points. Yeah, too, I guess as a black woman, woman it would yeah. be so easy for me to get into politics as a impassioned black woman and, to hate Donald and just Trump. Call, hate Donald Trump. That's the easiest ticket in yeah. life. I'm like, are you kidding me? They they would be celebrating me everywhere. I'd, you know how many awards I would have by now? I'd have a Nobel Peace Prize. So if you guys are interested in listening to that entire episode, you can go to Candace's podcast. You can also go to YouTube. I believe it's on the Prager U YouTube page and you can listen to our conversation there. Uh, if you guys don't already follow me on social media, feel free to do so if you want to. If you don't, no hard feelings. I also have a YouTube channel. It's Allie Beth Stuckey. And if you love my podcast, not just this episode, but if you like my podcast in general, I would love a five-star review from you on iTunes. It helps me out a lot. Okay, I'll see you guys soon.